Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Proudmouth. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help get you there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It's time to find a new perspective on what works, why, and how to move your business forward. Listen in as Matt Halloran interviews guest experts to help you be your own loud. Today, we're going to reverse engineer something that we've actually already reverse engineered and created an entire company about, but we're going to interview somebody who started doing this in a very, very uh, constrictive environment, which is financial services. And he's been doing it for three and a half years. So he's been actually running the podcast. It's called the Stay Wealthy Podcast. You all have to subscribe to this. It's a great podcast. It's Taylor Schulte, CFP, who is not only an amazing podcaster, but he's a, he's a great financial advisor. He's also the co-founder of something called AGC, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But the most important thing is he has a spreadsheet that we're going to go over to talk about ROI on how he's used his podcast to grow and help grow his business. So Taylor, welcome to the show, brother. Matt Kirk, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Taylor, thanks for being here. Started in 2017. Not a lot of experts, you know, especially in your field, financial services are, are doing this or been thinking about it. I've met a couple, but 2017 is a good start time. What they say is always the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago but the next best time is now. So for anybody who's thinking about doing this, consider that stuff. Why did you start a podcast? What was your thinking then? Not now, but what was your thinking then, if you can remember? The initial genesis was like, I hate writing. I really don't enjoy the process of writing. I don't really enjoy video. It just felt like a natural medium for me to get my content out there. I was just kind of drawn to it. I didn't really do a whole lot of research podcasting was just starting to kind of make waves in the industry. I attend an annual conference or I, I did attend an annual conference before COVID for five or six years called FinCon and mm -hmm. thousands of money nerds around the, the world uh, go to this conference and podcasting was just starting to heat up there. And I got interested in, it. I said, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to try this thing, right? I'm just going to put this thing out there. And I went for it. Now there's a lot of downsides to doing that too. I, I really didn't have a plan going in. I took $6,000. I paid a, a podcasting launch company to, to get my podcast off the ground. And I thought that I could just kind of throw money at this thing and grab a microphone and yeah, I'd be well on my way to success. But I fell on my face for the first year, year and a half. And if you do go back to episode one and you compare and contrast that to episode, I don't know what we're at, 94, you'll see a huge, huge difference. So that's my first kind of word of caution is like anything, we wanna have a plan in place before we go and spend you know a lot of money and time on these things. There's a great stat. I've quoted it a, a lot on our podcast that 90% of all people, of all podcasts that get started never make it past 10 episodes. Yep. So congratulations. 94 is pretty darn good. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Especially yeah, after, yeah, especially after you feel like you, as you were, it fell on your face. Yeah. One of the most important things, mindsets that you can have when you start anything new that has a lot of potential is understand what a grind it is to do it well. And, and, and you're never going to be perfect out of the gate and how long it's going to take to get good. There's this wonderful infographic from a guy named Evan Carmichael, who's a pretty successful info marketer. He showed an infographic of his YouTube subscribers for 10 years. And when you get to year 10, I just looked a little while ago, he's at 2.8 million. But at year five, he was only at 2,500. And then at year seven, I think he was just like 
in the tens, like 10, 20,000. I, I can't find the darn thing again, unfortunately, but it shows you what a grind it is. And, and what we're trying to do here is accelerate that as best we can. Can you talk to us a little bit about the grind and how your mindset shifted? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. It reminded me of the chart showing Warren Buffett's wealth trajectory. And I don't know how the numbers in front of me, but it's something like he didn't become a billionaire until he was 50 or 55 years old or something. And not to say that 900 million is not anything to, to complain about, but you know, a lot yeah. of people think Warren Buffett was just overnight billionaire, but it wasn't, you know, compounding interest took, compounding returns took a, a long time. 10 years is a, is a really daunting number, I think, for a lot of people who are trying to grow their firm through marketing or, 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 or podcasting or, or any of it. I kind of fall back on this three-year rule, and you hear this a lot in the marketing world, that it often takes three years in order to see something really start to work. And I can attest to that. My podcast is about three and a half years old. Last year, for the first time ever, we saw real tangible results, which we tracked. And I'm, I'm happy to share those today. But it took three years of not just grinding, but learning and pivoting and changing and falling on my face, right? And getting back up again and staying consistent. So these things take time. And, and I think that three-year number is a little bit more palatable for most people. Say, okay, I'm going to give this thing three years. I always say, it's, it's not to say that you're just going to keep your head down and do this thing for three years and never look back. I mean, every step of the way, I would have metrics along the way to see, okay, am I on the right track? If not, either I need to throw this thing in the trash, podcasting is not for me, or I need to pivot, or I need to hire an expert to help me, whatever it is. But that's the number that, that I've landed on. It seems to be accurate in a lot of different kind of areas of content marketing. Most importantly, it is that consistency. These things do take time. Anything takes time. You know, I'm a financial advisor. We talk about investing, right? You don't have investing success overnight. It takes 10, 20, 30 years sometimes to see these results. Now, let's talk about some of the mistakes that you've made, because I think this is wonderful. And, you, and Taylor, you opened the door, brother. So, so I'm going to walk right through it and ask you the question. What, what are some of the mistakes that you made early on that you have remedied and, and, and what did you do to remedy them? The biggest mistake that most people make, which I made, mine was a more expensive mistake because I just took $6,000 and paid this podcasting group to, to launch my podcast. But the biggest mistake that I see people make is they do something like this. Say, I'm fired up. I'm going to start a podcast. And the very first thing that they do is they go and research podcast equipment, or you'll see them go to a forum or a Facebook group and say, Hey, I'm going to start a podcast. What microphone should I buy? Right. That's like, again, waking up one day and saying like, I'm going to, I'm going to invest my money in the stock market. What stock should I buy? To which I would say, look, like we need to have a plan in place first. It'd be the same thing if, if, if uh, you went to a party and ran into a doctor and say like, Hey doctor, what prescription should I take? You'd be like, um, you need to come to my office, make an appointment. You know, we're going to do some tests. I'm going to ask you some questions and then I'll write you that prescription. I, I would say, I might say, I'm not cutting you off here, but I might say it's more like what app am I going to use to buy stocks? Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't even actually have much to do with whether your podcast is going to be successful at all. It's just, it's like a, it's like a complete diversion of what you should really yes. be paying attention to, which is do you have an actual plan? What are your expectations? And that's a huge job for financial advisors is setting expectations. The same thing when you're, when you're grinding away at marketing. Yep, absolutely. And what, what I've kind of landed on, like why that is, is I don't think most people want to do the hard work that's necessary. It's so much easier, right? To go shopping on Amazon for a microphone, even if you spend 500 bucks or if you spend 6,000 bucks, like that is easier than sitting down and actually doing the hard work that it takes in order for your podcast or blog or YouTube channel, whatever it is, 
in order to be successful. So that's the the biggest mistake that I made is kind of putting the cart before the horse. And I see this all over in the marketing world. The second mistake, and it really kind of goes in line with that, which is I wasn't really clear about two things. One, exactly who my target market was. Who was I, who was I talking to? What did that person look like? Really like, I mean, income level, where do they live? net worth, what are their interests, like get, you know, get as specific as possible. I, I never did that, right? As I grabbed a microphone and started talking about stuff that was interesting to me, which is great, but I wasn't clear about who my audience was. And then number two, I wasn't clear and honest with myself what my goals were for the podcast. It was probably because I, I didn't want to feel selfish about it. I mean, today I'll tell you, my goal is to educate people. But second to that, my goal is to build my business by using my podcast. And I think I was just afraid to say that out loud. And in the past, I'd say, you know, I'm just using this as an education platform and it's something that I enjoy and it's a passion project. I kept calling it a project over and over again. And somebody finally told me like, stop calling it a project. Those are the two things that, again, it probably took me a year, year and a half to finally say, okay, hit the pause button here. Who the heck am I talking to here? What do they look like? What are their interests? Again, everything I just mentioned. And then what do I want to see from this thing? And it doesn't have to be, I want listeners to become clients of my firm. It could be, I just want uh, X number of downloads or you're selling a book or a course or you're building your email list. I don't, I don't care, but like be crystal clear on what your goals are so that you can start to track, track it as you go. Wow. Great answer. So you've had some adjustments of expectations. Is it living up? Is it, it, I'm guessing it's living up to it now, but at the year and a half mark, you were feeling like it wasn't. So how did you, when you decided you were going to say you wanted to be a goal, what changed your mind there? What, what did you go through? Like, was it an epiphany you had or, or your, or your wife said, can you stop doing that? Or like, what was it? (laughs) It was probably around the time where I hired a coach, which is something I regularly have in my life now, someone to kind of hold me accountable to these things. And I don't remember the exact conversation or, you know, where I was or anything like that, but it was something along the lines of, if I'm going to spend my really valuable time doing this thing, then I need to get really honest with myself about what it is. And and again, what my expectations are to answer, I think your first question there, the second that I made this pivot and it didn't happen overnight, right? I had to put a lot of work and time into making this pivot, but the second I committed to it, and I made that pivot, it just skyrocketed. Like the podcast just skyrocketed from there. You know, I went from 200 episodes per month or something to now we're 20,000 plus per month. And it just like, just continues to go from there. You probably go back in my lips and statistics and just see that pivot and watch things go. I don't remember the exact process I went through, but it was something like, dude, if, you, if you're going to do this thing, if you're going to spend your, your time, you better get crystal clear about what, what you're doing here. I'm going to go really granular here. Did you change the name of your podcast as you went? I did. So the podcast started off as this, again, kind of passion project, hyper local San Diego based podcast. I'm a native San Diegan, which believe it or not, is, is actually pretty rare. We have a transient city, a lot of military. We don't really have a lot of professional jobs or industry here. So I'm a native San Diego and I love the city. I love business and entrepreneurship. And I thought I'm just going to interview local CEOs, entrepreneurs, and just kind of have some fun. And it was fun, right? But I wasn't getting really anything out of it other than talking to some pretty awesome people and and learning some new things, but it didn't really help my business at all. The show was called Stay Wealthy San Diego, a spin on your Ron Burgundy, Stay Classy San Diego. Again, like a a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, but I'm young. I'm married. I've got kids. I, I have a business to support here. 
I thought, okay, step number one is I'm going to chop off San Diego to broaden my reach. And believe it or not, we have more listeners on the East Coast now than here on the West Coast. So I accomplished that goal by by chopping off San Diego, rebranded it just as Stay Wealthy. And then again, got really crystal clear on who I'm talking to and what the pain points of that person are. I mean, I went from talking to a compound pharmacist about her business and compounding pharmacy, which I knew nothing about, it was really interesting. I went from that to now talking about tax planning for people over age 50, planning for retirement. So, I mean, you'll see a giant shift in the content and I've purposely left the content there because it is what it is. Like I I went on this journey and you can go back in time and, and see that journey I went on. So that was the process I went through. And yeah, now it's just called Stay Wealthy. Yeah, we're onwards and upwards. Matt's been good the whole time on our journey. He had some experience and this is right up his alley, but I've, I've had quite an evolution, I think. I mean, maybe not that great, but. <laughs> but. It's been a heck of an evolution. And I, that, it's funny, Kirk, that's the direction I wanted to go here is, so I, I actually had a radio background in high school and college. You didn't have that background. How long did it take? So, so Kirk and I have done together, I don't know, 150 episodes, that about right? Together? Kirk, is that about right? So, so, yeah, something like that. And if you go back, we even dumped the first 50 because they were horrible. Even if you go back to the first ones that we did in the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast, you'll hear a huge evolution in Kirk. Uh, just his, you know, just and it's, it's, he got this comfort level. How long did it take you to get really comfortable behind the mic? I don't know if I'm really comfortable today. I, I feel like I'm, I continue to kind of learn and grow. I feel like it's still, you talk to really amazing speakers. Actually, I'll back up and say, I, I watch a lot of Ted talks and I really admire people that are good at public speaking. I'm like, man, it just like comes natural to them. Like they can just get up on stage and command the audience and deliver the speech. And I was listening to this interview with this Ted talk woman telling like how she prepared for her Ted talk. And she said she rehearsed it 500 times before she got on stage and delivered it. And it was just like this moment where like, okay, you know, these people are human beings too. They get nervous when they walk out on stage, they have to rehearse this thing 500 times. It's not just me. I feel like the same thing about podcasting where I don't know that I'll ever feel really comfortable I think I'll always get a little bit nervous when we jump on something like this. And I think that's natural. Again, any public speaker will tell you they get kind of butterflies in their stomach when they walk out on stage. I I don't know. I will say that I'm not sure if you're familiar with Joe Salcihai, Stacking Benjamin's podcast, one of the top finance podcasts out there. And Joe is just a huge fan of leaving your old episodes on there, going back and listening and watching that evolution. And he says like, you should always be kind of embarrassed about your, your old episodes. Episode 100 should be better than episode 90 or episode 50. I think we're always going to continue to grow and evolve. I will say this. I, I will say that I do think that podcasting and audio comes naturally to me, more naturally than video or public speaking or writing. Not that I can't do those things. I, I, I do them, but I just think it's more authentic to me. And so it's just been easier for me to, to, to do on a, on a recurring basis. And I think that's something to really pay attention to. I, I tell people all the time, like, if you go to record a podcast, and that's my first tip is before you go buy equipment or anything, just you know, grab, grab your phone. Everyone has a phone in their pocket. Go record three or five episodes, publish them, put them out there into the world, see what it feels like to actually put them out in the world and get feedback from people. If you do that or you do an interview like this and you walk away drained and tired and you have a headache and you just hated it and your hands are clammy, you're like, I don't ever want to do that again. Pay attention to that. Like, yeah. 
you don't have to do a podcast, right? There's a lot of other forms of content marketing that don't require a microphone. I think it's something really important to pay attention to. And I think podcasting for me is something I enjoy. And I think it somewhat comes natural to me. I don't, I don't know why I don't, no one taught me how to do it, but yeah. I feel like saying like, if I'm giving you an advice, don't even try to be more comfortable with it because I think that's when your show or people in shows start to maybe think too much of themselves Yes, and, and or they don't let themselves be human. And that's one of the best things about a podcast. I'm on a kick right now and I've mentioned all the time, I should get paid by Smartless Podcast. You should actually bring it up. Have you listened to that podcast? No, I haven't. So it's Sean Hayes, Will Arnett, Mm -hmm. and Jason Bateman. Oh, wow. Okay. And they're friends and they just hammer each other the whole podcast. It is funny. It's sometimes it's like, guys, can you let them talk? Kind of like we're do- I'm doing right now to you, but <laughs> anyway, they, they just, they mess up and they leave it in and they, it's just all over the place. And I think it's, it's wonderful. It's the charm of mm-hmm. feeling like they didn't think they were so good or had to be so manufactured that they just couldn't be themselves. I will say to that point, I do think that I'll call us all here amateur podcasters. Mm-hmm. I do think that we have to separate us amateur podcasters from celebrity podcasters, yes. right? Like Conan O'Brien can just joke around for an hour and have Barack Obama on a show and have millions of downloads. One of the biggest pieces of feedback that I get from my show is that I don't waste people's time, that I just get straight to the point, right? We all have made fun of like the Tim Ferriss's of the world that have 10 minute intros and mm-hmm. selling advertisements and all that. And I think there's something to be said for us amateur podcasters, depending on the show format, to get to the point. I mean, we are experts in a certain arena and people are listening because they want to hear our expertise and like get to it. I, I'm not an entertainer. I'm not, I'm not Conan O'Brien or Jason Bateman or any of these people. I've had to kind of learn that lesson the hard way too. It's just like, dude, just get to the point. You don't need a fancy introduction. I used to have this voiceover guy and music and uh, Joe, Joe Salcihai calls it a cheesy announcer, dude, like get rid of cheesy announcer, dude. People just want to hear from you. And so now it's just like a short little guitar intro thing. I just, me on a microphone, I just get straight to the point. So I do think there's something to be said there, especially for us, like really niche podcasts, very different from your celebrity, celebrity based podcasts. We just made that switch ourselves a little slow apparently to do it, but yeah. And we're trying to do that with all of our clients. We're in the process of starting with a couple testing it out and then launching it Yeah, more so, but yeah, it, it, you're right. Um, get to it. So in the spirit of getting to it, you've been a guest on a whole bunch of really good quality podcasts. Can you let us know how you're doing that for our listeners? Well, I think in the beginning, I have a weird kind of superpower for cold emails. I don't know why, again, no one kind of taught me this thing. Mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten pretty good at cold emailing people. So in the beginning, I did cold email some people to try and you know get on their shows and, and start to build. As you guys know, it's kind of the snowball effect, right? Once you're a guest on three, four, five, yep. six, ten 10 shows, it gets much, much easier. Also, I was simultaneously building my own platform and it makes it easier for me to either, you know, swap shows, you know, I'll guest on yours, you guest on mine type thing and help each other out once I already have my own platform and I've kind of proven myself in the podcasting world. But yeah, a lot of it was just like these cold, really very genuine emails. And this is something I, I think we were talking before the show here about these email pitches that we get from people that want to guest on our show. And there's no 
there's no like human element to it. It's just like this canned message. One of the things I've always told people is it needs to be genuine, right? One of the best pitches I got recently was this young guy who recorded a video personal to me. Hey, Taylor, I've been listening to your podcast for a year. My favorite episodes are blah, blah, blah. I'd really love to, to be on your show. Actually, I think he was asking me to come on his show now that I think about it. It showed that he actually did the hard work and yep. he, he, he did the research. He listened to my show. He showed genuine interest. Like, you better believe I responded to him. I think we just have to think a little bit outside the box here, a little bit maybe outside of our comfort zone, and it becomes much, much easier. Guessing on other shows, having guests on your show, cross-promoting is a great way to, to build, build your podcast. As the somebody who hosts often, and when I when I'm looking at somebody like you, right, to be on our show, I wanted you on the show for a lot of reasons. But one, it's because you're a known commodity, right? I, I mean, I I know you've been on other people's shows before, so I know that obviously that's gone well. I know that you've hosted your own show with almost 100 episodes. For those of you who, because there are people out there who are thinking right now, well, my whole goal is just to be on other people's podcasts. Eh. Like if you don't have a podcast, unless you're a very, very, very specific person that's an expert I want to talk to, I would much rather have you understand this medium and and how to use this media as you know a, a tool for for marketing now a logistics question here when you're coming up with your your podcast as we had talked at the beginning of this you know we have a very specific month that this podcast is going to be released because of the content calendar that we created let's talk about execution since you've executed a crap ton of podcasts how do you do it do you create a content calendar how far do you book do you release a seasons so let's let's break down some of the logistics of your execution Geez, well, I'll be the first to admit this is something that I'm really, really bad at, especially planning ahead and building that content calendar. So that's kind of goal number one for 2021 is to build that calendar and get more intentional about, you know, episode launches. Right now, it really is almost, you know, we'll only have one or two or three podcasts, you know, banked and, and ready to go. So I am kind of always scrambling for the show, which is not a good thing. My saving grace is that I've got a really good team in place here at the firm and behind the scenes. And so I do have the time and capacity to do that, but I, I don't, I don't encourage that for anybody outside of that in, in terms of like preparing for the show. So again, I'm day to day, I'm a financial planner. And what I do is I pay really close attention to questions that people are asking potential clients, what they're asking me, what clients are asking if I'm at a party or over the holidays, paying attention to what family and friends are talking about. And I literally just have this draft of all these different questions and topics that people have. I'll use that to generate new podcast topics. That's the the one thing that I've always tried to prevent is I never want to be like, oh man, I got I need to get a podcast out, you know, in two weeks. What should I talk about? I never want to like I don't want to waste my energy doing that. So I can just simply go and grab a topic and, and do it. One of the things I had a lot of success with last year was doing these series. So I did a series on investing in the stock market for retirees because that's our target demographic. And so I did this four-part series, like this deep dive series. Only Each episode is only, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. But just like got really deep and nerdy and shared like, the, like exactly how you can go and invest your money and the things you need to think about and all the stuff that like people ignore. It was really successful. And so I followed it up with a series on investing in the bond market. The bond market like is totally unloved and it gets neglected. And I really, and, and those two series just like really blew up and people reference them all the time. So I think that is something to pay attention to uh, as you think about kind of the structure of your show is breaking things up into different series. Maybe each month is a different topic 
it seems to be much easier for people to consume rather than one week we're talking about Roth IRAs and the next week we're talking about, you know, tax planning or something. I, I'm happy to dig in even more, you know, how the shows are constructed or anything, but I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like I've just been really, really bad about planning and organizing some of this stuff. We've had a lot of success internally with with our mini series. We just refer to them as mini series, and they they do very because they are very content specific. In fact, we have a, a product; it's an influencer starter series, which is a, a five podcast. Exactly what you're talking about, right? It's a real deep dive into something that really fundamentally makes you unique and different. If you're not ready to do the whole kit and caboodle, Kirk, you, you wrote down a question on this mind map. Do you, do you want to dive into the one that I, I wrote in all caps? Yes, because I love this question. I'd like you to ask it. One of the things that, that's come from listening to you is that the organic marketing, like the really genuine stuff, that's the stuff that has the best play for you. That's the grind. That's the big part of why you can do and try all these boosts. I mean, we do some of them, but we were trying more and more to focus on the organic side of, look, there's ways that you can, there's little things you can do that can have a big impact on building momentum in your podcast to so that and stop focused on trying to buy your way to an audience, if you will. And the fact that you said when you write the, when that part, when that guy gave you the video and took the time to listen and learn, that takes time. They had to go listen to your podcast, right? They had to be sincere in it, do the video and it worked. It was a it's, it's easy to make that it work when you put the time in. Mm -hmm. It's more difficult when you're always trying to figure out a shortcut. Google has this great quote. I don't know who at Google wrote this, but it, it's credited to Google. And it says, focus on the user and everything else will follow. I think the same, I think that can be applied to a ton of different areas, but for sure, content marketing and for sure, podcasting. I think if you just obsess, just absolutely obsess over the user, over your target audience, I think you'll find success. If you just obsess, what, again, who are they? What do they do? What are their interests? What are their pain points? How can I help them? If you just obsess over the user, I, I truly believe that everything else will follow. It's when we start to, we don't do that work or we get really selfish about things, right? Or we think that there's a shortcut and we think we can throw some Facebook ads at our podcast and all of a sudden we're gonna be top 100 in iTunes or something. Like you have to do the hard work and you have to put the user first and everything else will follow. I think that's really, really, and, and again, that, that goes for trying to be a guest on somebody's podcast or trying to get somebody to be a guest on your podcast, like put their needs and interests and pain points first when you when you approach that. You're right. I, I have approached that in in a lot of what we've done. All of the podcast growth has been completely organic. I have not done anything paid whatsoever. I've gotten super creative and done totally outside the box things. But you're right. Like it should, my kind of rule of thumb is it should always feel a little hard and a little uncomfortable. Whipping up a Facebook ad, that's easy, right? Like anybody can do that. So we gotta we gotta think a little outside the box. We gotta push ourselves a little bit. It's just it should be a little it should be hard. So as we uh, kind of wind down, I, I definitely want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the metrics that you have. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, it just very quickly, you just talked about the organic marketing and, and some of the things that you've done outside of the box. We have found that uh, no matter how much money you spend, no matter how many great Facebook posts that you create, I mean th that really supplements 
real organic marketing. So when you're out and about, you had said this earlier, where you get your podcast topics, you know, when you're at parties or meeting with people or meeting with clients, I mean, how often are you bringing up the podcast? I mean, is this like a, a daily thing? And every time you're meeting with somebody, like all of a sudden you're like, oh, the podcast. I mean, what? so how, how, uh, how are you organically getting people to, to really listen? I rarely talk about the podcast and that's probably oh. a fault of mine. Yeah. I was in a a, a mastermind group a couple of years ago. And somebody asked me how many of your clients listen to your podcast. And I said, none, I've never shared it with them. And they're like, what? <laughs> I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I, I just have a hard time promoting myself, I guess hmm. with that group, they helped kind of change my mind a little bit. And hey! just, you know, I've, I've worked, <laughs> you know, I've poured my blood, sweat and tears yeah. into this thing. I'm obviously really proud of it. I should, I should share it now. I'm still pretty reserved about it. Although, you know, we do share it via our email list uh, now with clients and potential clients and all that. And so we are, we are doing some marketing there, but it's really rare that I'm at a party and I say, Hey, I have a podcast. You should check it out. I don't, I can't tell you the last time I've said that. However, I seem to have this kind of marketing force around me. Uh, my mother-in-law being one of them, no matter where we are, what we're doing, she will always tell who we're with that. I have this awesome podcast and they need to go listen to it. <laughs> I think in a weird way, maybe my, my humility has helped a little bit and I've kind of built this little marketing force around me, me and my wife and, and my father, and, you know, they're all going around telling people about it. And that's great, right? You know, you pick up listener here and there, but I do think, especially if we have this three-year target in mind, we, we need to pour some gasoline on some of this stuff and like really get, get our name out there and one by one through parties and organically, I, it, again, it helps, but I, I do think we have to think a little bigger than that sometimes. I got a couple of ideas for you to solve that. One is get some swag that has your podcast name or your, the fact that you love podcasts or something and see if that changes anything. What we did was strip down part of our brand and just put the logo, which mm. is kind of iconic. And people who wear it know what it represents. And then if other people say, hey, that's a neat hat, and then they can tell the story. That's one of the, one of the maybe some really simple thoughts you could carry a business card, which is kind of cheesy too. Here's my, I have a podcast if you want to listen to, but that keeps you from having to talk about it. Yeah. If you don't want to talk, but it's still. And, and the other thing I had was if you ask your clients about whether or not they like it or what they like, or even what they don't like, or if there's stuff they want to talk about, or if they know people who need certain things answered, like you're talking to a relative or a family or a friend and they're not getting something. If they, as long as they're your target audience, can they tell you what they want you mm -hmm. to talk about? Because then what you can do is they'll say, well, I really wish you, they're, they're always trying to invest themselves. They never want to have an advisor and they really seem to love bonds. So while well, I just did a series on bonds, yep. why don't you show, share it with them? And then they realize, oh my gosh, I can't do what Taylor does. I might as well hire this guy. Or they go tell 10 other bond right. friends because they're in a group together. Yeah. It's a bond group. I, I, I want to say two things. One, I would just push back a little bit on the swag thing for new podcasters, right? Again, that to me would go in the easy bucket. I It was Mark Cuban who said like years ago, he was criticizing somebody on Shark Tank who was buying all these shirts and t-shirts and all this stuff. And 
his point was like, you need to kind of have a, a minimum viable product first before you go out buying swag and giving out swag and all that stuff. I do, I would caution podcasters, like your podcast is not going to go again into the top 100 by giving out swag. I think you got to have that minimum viable product first. You got to do that really hard work first, build that foundation, prove that you're onto something. And then I think that swag can you know be that gasoline to throw on the fire and take it to the next level. The second thing I wanted to say, and this applies to financial advisors, it applies to really any industry. It's this mystery of people seem to always be afraid to give out their secret sauce, right? Some of the things I've heard from advisors is like, why, why are you sharing that with all these people for free, right? They're just going to take it and go do it themselves. If you tell them exactly how to build a portfolio, aren't they just going to go and build the portfolio themselves and then never hire you? And it's just funny that it's the complete opposite. It's like the more you give, the more of your secret sauce that you share and put out there, the more that you're going to come back and, and, and get out of it. It's just, it's funny. Like there are always going to be people, there's always going to be your do-it-yourselfers. Again, I don't care if it's the legal world or tax world or finance or elect- electrician, whatever. Surgery. If sur- yeah, <laughs> surgery. Sorry. It was a big hump for me to get over to say, I'm going to literally just share everything that we do, like step by step. And if you want to do it yourself, go for it. But you know what? Yeah. I only need a tiny, tiny percentage of people to reach out and say, that's great. I know I could probably do it myself. My time's too valuable. I want to spend time with my grandkids or my family or whatever. Like I'm going to hire you. And that's what happens. I think that is probably one of the biggest obstacles for people to be good at content marketing is understanding that it's not about keeping only sharing what you think is going to get them interested enough to come. Just think about how seminars work and what they're all about. I'll give you a little bit. If you want the real thing, you got to come see me. That mentality is an absolute fail. Yeah, And if you think you can do content marketing with that formula, you're going to fail. It's horrible. I mean, if you could, that mindset may be one of the most important mindsets to getting into content marketing. I'm repeating myself is just so important. So thank you for, for kind of ending on that incredible point. Yeah, absolutely. I, I found this on your website and I really liked it. And it reads, I guess it's a testimonial. There are two approaches in this profession. Some advisors try to hoard knowledge out of a misguided perception that this increases their competitive advantage. Others, like Taylor, seek to share knowledge knowing that a rising tide lifts all boats. Bravo, gentlemen. And that's from a CEO of a very successful risk management software company. Uh, I think that's exactly what we're talking about. All right, Taylor, let's go ROI, brother. When you started tracking it from when, and then when did you start seeing the bumps? Here's what I did. I started the podcast in 2017. I already told you I fell on my face. I pivoted a bunch of times. For the first three years, I focused on this giving strategy. I'm just going to give, 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 build, 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 right? Build trust with the audience, build credibility. And finally, in 2020, early last year, I built up the courage to finally ask for something from my audience. Mm -hmm. This is something I think is really important no matter what industry that you're in. I'm a financial planner. It's pretty easy to go online and figure out that I'm a financial planner. However, my listeners don't know that. It's funny. They, they think I'm a podcaster that has you know some finance expertise, right? When I built up this courage to finally go in for an ask, I was very clear about what I did and who I did it for, how I could help, and how they could take action. And it was a very simple, genuine call to action. I said, hey, I've been doing this for a while now. You may or may not know I'm a financial planner. I do my best work with people over age 50 million dollars or more. We specialize in helping retirees reduce their tax bill. 
if you're interested, we're actually offering a free retirement assessment right now. Just go to our website, click on the purple button. You can learn more. Like it was really, really that simple. A little call to action that I recorded. I injected it into a few episodes. I mean, it was just like open the floodgates. Last year alone, just purely from the podcast, we had 60 people reach out to our firm. So, right. They found us, they heard, uh, heard me, uh, they reached out, they've self-scheduled a phone call with our firm, 60 people reached out, scheduled phone calls with us. I'm looking at the spreadsheet right now. 10 of them became clients. We had a close rate of over 56%. So for the P we have a, a pretty dialed in sales process for people that go from the intro call to, okay, I think there's a potential fit here. They go to the next step. Then we track the close rate from that step going forward. So how many people went through our entire sales process and then became a client. So we had a, a close rate of 56.3% last year. So 10 clients uh, moved forward and hired our firm directly from the podcast. And that generates about $100,000 in recurring annual revenue. It was just a really big win last year to finally see the fruits of, of my labor. And it's really energizing and motivating to continue to do this, not because I'm just greedy and after the money, but I've worked really hard. I've poured my blood, sweat, and tears in this thing. I am an expert. I can help people. And there are people that need and want help. And we've created a way for them to do that. I guess lesson learned is I do think there is this time period where you do need to build trust and give and add value and build credibility. But at some point, People need to know, like you have to draw this stuff in crayon for people, exactly what you do and how you can help them and how they can take action. But it took time. And so here we are today. And again, the, the podcast is the primary source for, for new business for our firm. I think the more specific that you were there, that's really difficult for a lot of experts to do is this is exactly who I work with and exactly what I help them with and, and why I do it. That helps people a lot. And the most important part is that it keeps you from meeting with people who you're not great at helping or don't fit. And that saves you a heck of a lot of time. And that's why I like to yell out, scream sometimes that lead, gener lead generation is dead because lead gen often doesn't consider those things, but content marketing has a, can have a much better job if it's done with any kind of specificity. So that's yeah. wonderful stuff. I'm really happy that you embraced the grind and found your way through this. You got a great podcast. You're a great for us in particular, you're a wonderful spokesperson for the power of podcasting. That's what this was all about. So thanks so much for your time. Wish you a continued success and hopefully we can stay in touch and, you know, kind of monitor what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you both so much for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. All right. We'll see all of you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to learn more about how to be your own loud podcast, visit our website, read our blog posts, attend educational webinars, and sign up for Influence Accelerator Academy.